Hey everybody, thank you for checking out the Broke Down Podcast. This is episode number 67. I am your host, Jonathan, and I'm glad you're with me on this go-round. We've got a fun interview with Alex Bleeker, bassist and founding member of the great, great band Real Estate. After the chat, there's a bunch of music, and all of that will be coming up in just a little bit. First, let me remind you that Broke Down Podcast is a member of Osiris. Osiris Media is all about forging connections between you, the fan, and the music, art, and experiences that you love. These days, we need connections more than ever, and Osiris has expanded to bring you live streams from musicians, DJs, podcasters, and more. They're also launching new shows, like Eric Krasno Plus One. After 20 years on the road, Grammy award-winning guitarist Eric Krasno has spent time sharing stories with countless artists, and these conversations have become some of his most cherished memories. The first three episodes are out now and feature Dave Matthews, Laura Lee of Krongbin, and young guitar slinger Marcus King. Future guests include the likes of Phil Lesh, John Mayer, Derek Trucks, and Questlove. So check out Eric Krasno Plus One and so much more at OsirisPod.com. So what's going on, y'all? I want to stay strictly on topic because, of course, if this were current events podcast, damn, some stuff has really been going on. But within our particular scope, there has been some stuff, right? I owe you something of a review of the June 76 box set, but my review is really late and it's going to sound like a uh, book report dashed off to save from getting a zero. So I'll simply say, it's good. The box itself is lovely. The music sounds great. The highlights are, well, I mean, you know them, right? I expected the 614 Slipknot to be my highlight, and it is far and away. It smokes. It's so nice to have this just crystal clear recording of it, and I'm very happy, very happy with it. We've also got a new Jerry Garcia release. The estate dropped Garcia Live 13, and this one is from September 16, 1989 at the Poplar Creek Music Theater, Hoffman Estates. It's two hot sets with Clarence Clemens on saxophone throughout. They come out swinging with a Cats Under the Stars opener, but way to get to that peak in Dear Prudence. Holy moly, guys. It's so good. So good. I listened to it again this morning. Um, it's out there now, so grip it. The Dead continued their series of live streams last Friday with Buckeye Lake 93. That's June 11, 93, which was previously unreleased on video. And I gotta tell you, it was a lot of fun. I know plenty of people were skeptical about a 93 show, but I got the sense from the Twitters that we may have gotten a couple of converts. Jack Straw Foolish Heart Opener, The Lazy River Road and So Many Roads, both in set one. Double Dylan Songs with Tom Thumb Blues and Masterpiece. A strong second set that runs Eyes, playing into Uncle John's into a heavy Karina into drum space. Then Wheel Watchtower, Black Peter, and a Sugar Mag Closer, followed by a Broke Down Encore? Come on! This is the kind of show we'd be thrilled with in those days and clamoring for the tapes if we'd missed it. So this coming Friday, I believe we're getting the closing of Winterland, which is a wild and fun time. That's 1231.78, and I'll be checking it out. Okay, so our guest on this episode is Alex Bleeker. Alex is a founding member and bassist for Real Estate, a great, great band that formed a dozen years ago and is still going strong. Their latest album, The Main Thing, was released by Domino Records on February 28th. Alex and I spoke at the beginning of April, after quarantine began, but 
Things change fast these days, so there's no mention of his or his band members' participation in the Nugs.tv web stream Live From Out There, which was a benefit for a sweet relief and celebrated Jerry Garcia and Robert Hunter. Alex performed a trippy version of Dupree's Diamond Blues, and his bandmates Martin Courtney and Julian Lynch each performed versions of Stella Blue and St. Stephen, respectively. Uh, this was just last night, Sunday night, that uh, that this aired, and it was a great show. They were in fine company with folks like Eric Krasnow, MC Taylor, George Porter Jr., Kella Williams, Jackie Green, Steve Poltz, and more. It was a blast. I really enjoyed watching it. Hopefully, if you didn't see it, some of those bits will show up on YouTube. And if they do, I'll try to share them with you on the Twitters or whatever, because that was just this was great, great material. Okay, so before we hear this talk, let me remind you that you can find me on the internets in so many ways, including Twitter and Instagram at BrokeDownPod. I'm on Facebook, and I have my own blog at BrokeDownPodcast.blogspot.com, where you'll find the complete show notes with all the critical data for each episode. That said, stay tuned after the interview for a bunch of great music. But now, here we have myself chatting with Alex Bleeker. Enjoy. You're in uh, California? Or you, sorry, I'm in California. I'm out in uh, West Marin County, home of the Grateful Dead. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I guess I read that piece in Aquarium Drunkard early this year, and you talked about your transplanting to California and taking up surfing and yep. all that. Are you uh, under these current times? Are you still able to get out and surf? That, that could be a solitary gig yeah that's like heavy on my mind at the moment like right this second i have been surfing i wasn't sure if i was going to um more well you know like there's also like i live in a little town and the 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 waves haven't been particularly crowded it's pretty easy to stay at least six feet away from people out there but i do wonder if it's like you know i was doing a lot of reading about transmission through water or maybe you know like gi transmission through water because you can get like e coli from surfing and stuff like that right and the like the general consensus is like we haven't really seen it it's unlikely but we don't know for sure which is like you know i was like okay well what's the or like let's say there's somebody in the water who has it and they like are spitting in the water because surfing can get pretty bodily yeah. you know and then it, so i was like i have been sort of taking my chances um partially because my roommate's been surfing and i was like well fuck it if he's surfing it yeah. doesn't matter <laughs> also um because it is it is good for the mental health and it is a nice activity although today i heard that they're going that a friend of mine like got you know we live in this sort of rural area with uh, you know it's it's as good of the place as any to be during this there's like hiking trails and and stuff around and a friend of mine got uh, like a warning for being parked at a hiking trail they might be cracking down on any kind of auto travel even if you're local oh, wow. for anything so uh, we'll see I've been thinking actually was just kind of hearing about that today so I was like am I gonna surf going forward or not do i have to like figure out a way to like walk down or you know high class problem to have during these times of course yeah, though there are so. um probably more d difficult challenges ahead for all of us and certainly yeah. plenty of people facing them right now but yeah uh, we're not strictly here to talk about that although it's kind of no. unavoidable yeah um, we can talk about it for yeah. sure we don't have to pretend it's not happening right well you know it's funny i've been um just to clarify and pull the curtain back for anybody listening, today is, what is it, the, uh, I don't even know now, it's April 2nd, 2nd right? Yep. So uh, I've put out 
a couple episodes. I put them out every other week. So I put out two episodes that have, you know, no, virtually no reference to right. it, or it's just starting to happen because I, you know, sometimes bank things up and record well in advance. And uh, so it's like the last one that came out on Tuesday. There's almost, no, we're, we're like, yeah, well, we'll have to do this again sometime, maybe at a, you know, Garcia People's show in New York. Right, well, right. Maybe in a while. But uh-uh. yeah, uh-huh. so that's. So we're catching up weird. to reality here on the podcast. Yeah, reality is just barreling yeah. down and. Yeah, yeah. Can't dodge it for long. But, um, but let's 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 bounce away from reality a little bit and uh, sure. so what I I usually like to do is kind of get into you know a little of the background of the artist the band or whatever we're talking about mm-hmm. here um, but first I will uh, say you know we've got a fairly new record came out at the end of February called the main thing under real estate mm-hmm. for real estate but you also put out a record uh, kind of was it in March uh, bet your ass on. Uh, <laughs> Through the band camp? So, yeah, so that, I, uh, I made that record a few years ago, but it, it kind of had a very limited sort of release and it was never on Bandcamp. So, um, okay. you know, Bandcamp did this really great thing. Uh, they, they waived all of their fees for a day. And I thought, well, this, this thing is like pretty low key under the radar. Let me like get it up on Bandcamp. There was never, actually there was a cassette release. It was like in 2015, but it was a kind of like, under the radar you know i have i have other solo stuff but that one went out into the world pretty quietly so i just kind of reintroduced it to okay well, to the world I, I like your other solo stuff and i have it all except i this one i missed completely before so um i was glad to come across it and i've been i've been really digging on it so, well that uh, makes me feel good about uh kind of uh giving it another push yeah into the world. You you know, thanks so uh and we'll we'll point everybody to where all those things are um but I guess we are here to talk about the new real estate record, which is terrific, and uh, was get, getting some good press out there and stuff. And you guys, uh, you came up together in New Jersey, right? And unlike a lot of bands, you guys have known each other, like you and Martin and Julian, right? Who's uh, yep. the guitar player now. Uh, you guys have known each other since grade school, is that right? Yeah, so the first time I met Martin was, we I mean, must have been in like third grade, like little league, you know, he went to the elementary school, like down the road from the elementary school that I went to, but you know, same town. And I, I have like distinct memories of being the two worst players on a little league team with him. <laughs> um, and, but we didn't really become friends until I would say like late middle school, like around eighth grade, we started to become really, really close friends. And that's around the same time that we met Julian and it was all kind of like, even back then we were united through like a love of music. We were all at sort of different skill levels, learning to play guitar and stuff. I remember like starting a band with Martin. Um, I think it was the last day of eighth grade. Martin and I like started our first band together. Nice. So, I mean, it's, and that's really when our relationship took off. So we've always kind of, yeah, we've known each other for a really long time. We've been bound together by music, love of music and playing music together for a really long time. And so uh, when did real estate come together? I mean, I kind of know this story, but for the benefit of my listeners. Yeah, yeah, uh, sure. Real estate came together in um, what we thought was the uh, most critical economic crisis that we'd seen in our lifetime. <laughs> uh, with, <laughs> right. uh, it was the fall of 2008, and, and we had just uh, finished 
from college and we were kind of having our like uh the graduate you know moment we were all at home living in our parents houses um not uh, really certain what to do with our lives but it was this kind of moment where you know anybody who was looking for a more sort of typical out of uh college or university job was not finding much luck anyway so we felt um i mean i don't know if that really influenced our decision one way or another but we certainly felt justified and just kind of going for it and trying to start a band uh you know being in a band together was we were no strangers to that we've been doing that together for a long time obviously like we were just talking about but uh i guess we just sort of decided to go for it in earnest uh right around yeah late 2008 um and actually the name real estate came out of a similar sort of conundrum we we you know we were like just sort of sitting around in suburban New Jersey every day. And, and Martin's parents happened to uh, run a, a real estate company. They're realtors. <laughs> and wow. they said that um, we could work for them if all else failed. And so that was kind of uh, a little nod to that with the band name. That's terrific. And you guys, I mean, you got, got to it pretty quick because uh, it wasn't the first record. The self-titled record came out on Woodsist in 2009. There was a couple singles and an EP, uh, Realty, before that. Um, I, I got to shout out Woodsist real quick. That label, particularly sure. then, uh, was like they were instrumental in me picking up on so much great music, including your band, but also like Kurt Vile, White Fence, Matt Valentine, of course, Woods, and just so much music flowed right through that label. And you guys were right there in there. Um, and for me too, you know, like yeah. we started as, as huge fans of the label and, you know, uh, like it was pretty clear, you know, we were, we were living in Jersey, but going into Brooklyn a lot to see shows and to play shows, of course. And, um, yeah, that was just the type of music community that we were really interested in and wanted to be involved in. So like being on Woodsist was like aspirational for us, <laughs> you know, cool. it's what we, it's what we really wanted. And, you know, obviously, you know, we're able to, to achieve that and become friends with Jeremy who runs the label, who, you know, we're still close friends and, you know, have the utmost respect for him and all of his projects. And, um, yeah, the, it's just been like, and, you know, even though we, uh, we release records on a different label now, it's still, we still feel very much connected to Woodsist and like we're part of the sort of Woodsist family. There is truly like a, a familial vibe within the label. So, uh, you know, I don't know. We're just, uh, they're, they're great. They're the best. Yeah. They put out, uh, one of your records as well, that how far away, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. I, I will go ahead and tell you right now, since I'm bringing it up and this, this maybe it's weird, I don't know. but since that album came out in 2013, I've had it on my phone the entire time. I'm like changing phones and like, okay, first I got to get that on there because <laughs> that's like, rad. I check in with that record all the time. There's just some really cool melodies and great lyrics. It just is. It's a good record, man. I, I really love it. Oh, um, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate um, that. Yeah. So, uh, somebody, who was it? My last guest on the show, Daryl Norson said of yeah. his work, uh, I'm a, he's a fan first and that is very much me as well. I'm a fan of, uh, I'm, I'm a fan of, sorry to cut you off. I'm a fan of Daryl Norson's. So yeah. there we go. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's great. He's great. The first record, of course, is 09 and that kind of put you guys right out there. You were, you know, I guess, that was we were still getting that blogger scene and all of that stuff on the internet, but uh, your record kind of it took off, and before long you were on Domino and mm -hmm. Days and Atlas and 
over the next few years came out. These are great records. Days, I believe, uh, got you some pretty big notice. Yeah, definitely. Talk to me about that as that the band is growing. You guys are touring more, I presume. And what would you think of that kind of uh, indie success? Because you guys are kind of uh, one of those indie success stories, if you will. Yeah, I mean, honestly, all of it was kind of like dream come true level stuff for us, you know? I mean, even uh, going back to the first record or before the first record, like, you know, I think the the, the target just kept moving but and growing to, to bigger and bigger things, but always, you know, with this sort of like interior uh, appreciation for having any kind of recognition from anyone else uh, at all you know so uh even in the early days when we just were like able to play shows that we thought were cool around brooklyn or something like that and then like okay now we got to like travel around and play some like cool shows in other cities and you know just everything sort of especially in those early days when you're when the band is kind of getting more and more recognition um it just was like totally a really, really, really exciting time. And I'm still really grateful and I'm still really excited, you know, that we've been able to make it work as long as we have. Um, but yeah, I think definitely those early days, there's something special about that because you're literally creating, you know, something out of, out of nothing. Um, and you're feeling sort of, uh, the sort of reciprocity and, people you know caring about your music for the first time and it's pretty intoxicating i i I have to say yeah you know we just were i i always felt really lucky and never felt jaded about it and i I continue to feel that way now so yeah it's cool gratitude is a uh a powerful and uh, important thing to carry with you so you guys have grown and changed a bit in lineup and sound i think you've shifted but it's still Nowadays, it's still rooted in this long-standing partnership with you and Martin, now Julian. Mm-hmm. Um, leaving aside the obvious derailing of tours and whatnot that are happening yeah. right now, yeah. um, it's been a few years since since the last record. It was a 2017's In Mind. Uh, mm-hmm. How was it to get back in the studio with the band? Uh, you had a familiar producer as well, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, this record, the process of this record was just, uh, I don't know, it was definitely a special one. It'll continue to stand out for me. It was, um, you know, it was kind of, uh, it felt like a really important record for us to make, largely because we have been making records together for so long. You know, we started making the record right around the 10-year mark, you know, right around like 2018, and we'd been a band for 10 years at that point, and we were like really questioning, you know, what does it mean to be a band for 10 years? What is, uh, you know, if we're going to put out a record, why are we going to put out a record? It had better be worthwhile uh, for us and for our fans. You know, we don't want to be repeating ourselves. Um, it just felt like kind of do or die, you know? Uh, and I think we took that energy it, it, and, and it wasn't all like, yeah, it was difficult. The band was in sort of a difficult place. It was, it was existential, literally. Um, we always knew that we wanted to go on and keep making records, but we were asking ourselves sort of hard questions about, you know, uh, what is the point of this? And, you know, we, we'd better do something meaningful if we're going to do it at all. And bringing that, we were able to channel that energy in the studio. It felt like, and it, it was very therapeutic. Actually, we were sort of able to answer our own question, you know, like it was, I've had a great time making every single record, but it, it really felt like we were reengaging with um, a sort of, 
uh, initial, you know, passion of uh, making an album and not getting complacent or, you know, because you do something a certain amount of times and you, whether you realize it or not, you know, there are patterns and habits that you pick up. And so we were trying to sort of shine a light on all those things and, and, and not fall into any kind of routine this time around. And I think, I think bringing that energy into the studio made it feel kind of special to us. Yeah. The uh, breaking out of patterns and routines, that's where groups like this change instruments or something in the studio, just to, just to mess with their own kind of uh, preconceptions of, of their jobs in the studio. Do you guys totally. do anything uh, specifically to undermine your your patterns, or was it just just conscious drive to produce something different? Well, you brought up our producer um, Kevin McMahon, and um, he was really instrumental in that process. And yeah, he he uh, produced Days, and we'd known him even before that. I've actually you know known him since I was eighteen. Uh, band that Martin was in in high school. Uh, saved up all their money to go and record in the studio in New York city. And he happened to be the engineer. And so we had this long history with him. Um, he's known us since we were just kids. And I think that was pretty important to this process because it wasn't somebody we had just met and it wasn't somebody who was going to be overly polite and let us kind of fall back on our patterns. We told him we wanted to be pushed and he really heard that. So he was like really, really meticulous. Um, we would be doing things and he would, he would had this habit of asking individual people like, why are you doing that? Why are you playing that? Do you have a reason to be playing that part that way? Do you have a reason to be hitting the ride symbol that way? Do you have a reason to be doing that particular bass rhythm? And it was annoying. <laughs> it, was it was difficult, but I realize now, you know, in retrospect that he was trying to break us out of those patterns or at least, you know, and, and his whole thing was like, if you have a reason for it, that's fine. Like, then I'm happy with it. I don't care. But I just want to make sure you're not doing something just because this is the way you do it, you know, because we've done that four times before. And like, let's maybe be a little bit more specific. Yeah. You know, other bands, I, I always, as a guy who's never been in a band, you know, but who collects records and studies histories of bands, I look at, you know, 10 year mark, that's uh, the Grateful Dead 1975. Or, right. You know, and what what were they doing? Or uh, I don't know, Fish in 1993, or the Rolling Stones, and I'm going to get their year wrong, but you know, in the early 70s, and and I so mean, forth. That's incredible to me. You know that like it was Fish in '93 was them at 10 years. Yeah, if that's just another accolade, you gotta you gotta keep up on this band because like those are still even prior to what some people consider their greatest glory days. Right. You know, so uh, having been in a band for almost 12 years now, that's just like unbelievable to me that they were able to hit their stride at like a, you know, well, they're continuing to hit their stride. It's pretty incredible. Um, and, and I hadn't even thought about it in that context till you, till you mentioned it. That's really interesting because well, yeah, <laughs> that's inspiring. That's really inspiring. Yeah. I mean, there's, um, we, with our conversations with my friends as a, as a younger man, you know, looking at Grateful Dead who were winding down, winding down, their career was it just ended, and and Fish was really on a just a rocket trajectory. We'd sit down and go, well, okay, if this is the, their is this their 1974, and you know, trying to do this weird um, math that makes sense all probably only to Grateful Dead fish fans I get uh, it, on certain nights, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, 
Yeah. So, and there is, of course, no direct analog between any two bands. But uh, it, yeah. I, I, no, I, but I, you know what that is. That perspective is inspiring, though, because I I can't help but feel sort of like I'm becoming a kind of elder statesman of the, the indie scene because of the speed at which everything moves these days. You know, um, it feels like there's a new popular band or song or literally just a single or something on the internet, and that it lasts for two weeks, and then there's this constant sort of stream of content that needs to come out, and there's this real premium on being like the new thing, you know, right. um, and it's hard not to, you know, like we're really, really psyched and and grateful and we're going to keep doing our thing for sure. But it, it is almost hard not to contextualize ourselves in sort of the the twilight era of the band or something. You know, even though we're feeling like really creatively powerful, it's just like, oh, yeah, we're like kind of old school now to certain people, you know. <laughs> and and But when you say, oh, yeah, that's Fish in 93, it's like, holy shit, you know, you don't have to play by the rules. <laughs> you know, that's amazing. You really don't. I mean, Fish just last night dropped their a new record that is arguably one of their better records uh yeah and i don't know if you had a chance to hear it i listened to it last night and it just you know it's 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 shocking and they're how many years now into that career we don't have to count but so you know there's there's a way to go i know it's incredible and what they're able to do live i mean i i truly think that they've like they've hit another uh, you know much too many a jaded vets uh surprise they've hit another peak (laughs) in their career which is it's that's insane you know it's it's unheard of yeah and i'm one of those guys i also do a fish podcast so uh and i'm probably the the jaded vet on the on the team Uh but uh but yeah they're they are really they're playing really strong this all of course leads to a question i think that we have to indulge it's this popular question these days um and it's actually what connected us on twitter i think which is the uh something about this intersection between the indie music scene and the jam music scene. It's kind of uh-huh. laid out by a lot of music writers. And I think uh, this new record, somebody said something in a review uh, connecting you guys with, you know, you're s- suggesting that your record as well as they, they suggest the vampire weekend records have something sonically in common with a jam band record. Um, what's your, what's your thought on that? I mean, I know you're, I know from previous things I've read and seen that you're a fan of this music, but do you think there's a connection musically other than... I would say that I have been pushing real estate in that direction as long as I can remember. I mean, we sort of brought the kind of... I mean, we real estate jams now live, which is cool. I mean, I think that's like a definitive thing. And it's not... I'll say that we... We very rarely get to a place that I would uh, call type two jamming, where we totally leave the structure of the song behind. But there are long improvisational passages that, that happen several times without the throughout the live show, which is something that we've always kind of discussed and had a premium um, on for our live show to make them, you know, feel a little different. I think now recently um, adding Julian to the lineup, just like his tone, his style, his like his chops just generally really allow us to get behind like a super talented feature lead guitar player that also shares something of like a jam band quality. Nice. Um, so I think sonically there's more of a connection with our band now than ever. I mean, there, there is even on the record, there's an, imp- at, in, it's actually in Julian's song, there's an improvised 
section of the record that we just did a couple of different jams and we picked the one we liked the best and then you know kind of plugged it in there um Can, which song is that for the listeners? that song is called um also a butt and cool. it sort of ends with a long sort of longer i mean definitely for a studio album a longish uh kind of improvised section i think even more than sonically there's something that i at least would like to evoke spiritually um in the band that i love about things that i think jam bands and jam band culture and jam band fans in particular do really really well like you know real estate for example um we don't repeat set lists there are a lot of indie rock bands that create a set list for a tour and they stick to it you know and we've always had an aversion to that and we've never done that um we also kind of uh like if we'll sometimes we'll do multiple night rounds in a city and um, we will try our best not to play any repeats. Um, And even beyond that, it's kind of like just the propensity to do things live that are fun and special and create meaningful experiences for the band, you know, that I think jam bands like fish in particular are just so good at creating and like understanding where the joy is and coming together for live music. And I think that, aspect of things really resonates with everyone in the band and i think like we're really trying to to carry that forward like for example in october we we booked um three different shows in uh cities in the middle of the country all at like sort of underplay smaller venues than we would usually play in those cities and we did two sets which is a total jam band you know oh yeah nod and the first set yeah, we did the evening with shows and we uh, the first set, this was kind of unannounced. We came out and we just debuted our new record. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, just like things like that, sort of taking uh, taking a tip from the more spiritual live show, special performance, kind of like digging into the geeky minutia of like what bands do you know i I think all that stuff is like that's that's my favorite part about being a uh, fish or grateful dead fan is it's like you're you're a fan of a band sure but it feels like you're a part of the community so you know if we can do our best to foster even like a tenth of that uh i'd be really psyched and we're getting there you know i think people are picking up on it awesome yeah i think that um when the band puts into effort that the the right audience will come to you and stay with you so, um, right. as, as evidenced by some, what these other groups I have been doing. And, uh, it sounds like people are picking that up with you guys and that's awesome. Um, hopefully, uh, we'll get, get a tour out of you guys in the next year or so. We'll be able to open the doors and fill up rooms and things like that. And I can be, I can be in one of them at some point, maybe more yeah, than one. I hope so. I hope so too. It'll happen eventually. You know, we might, we're all going to have to learn to be patient, but, uh, you know, yeah, this time is obviously presenting its fair share of challenges. Um, and, but, you know, every challenge presents an opportunity as well. So we're, we've been talking a lot about how we can connect people, you know, through the Internet or what else we can do to stay active during the time when we can't necessarily tour. How can we stay active as a band? And so something something interesting will come out of that. Uh, you know, <laughs> everybody fires up the home studio and start passing logic projects around and you'll uh... – You'll have a new record before you know it. Maybe um, a double album. Who knows? There you go. Um, so I, I, I kind of I missed this question earlier. I want to go back, and I know you know you like the Dead and Fish, but what? Uh, who were your inspirations when you started playing? Started playing in general. 
yeah, in general, when you picked up the guitar and said, I want to play this, or you, you started with guitar, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I was like a totally obsessed with classic rock radio cool. as like a 12-year-old. I think that was like my own sort of personal introduction to loving music. I had a um, certain amount of influence from my parents, you know, playing the Beatles in the house and stuff like that all the cool. time. But then I really ventured out on my own. And I remember, it's like, you know, you, you hear about those like 60s uh, like rock stars all have the same story of like, I, I heard the blues on the radio for the first time and I blew my mind. And like, that was kind of me, but like listening to all their music on like very commercial classic rock radio. Yeah. I'm right I there remember, with you. Like, <laughs> I remember like staying up late under the covers in my bed with my little like clock radio, listening to classic rock and like educating myself and then, you know, going to tower records and buying CDs and stuff like that. And I think, I think like I would have to say Pink Floyd was a massive, massive, like early teenage influence on me, um, as well as many other, uh, classics, um, the Beatles and all their solo material. But that's what I was really into when I, when I was like, I want to play music as for my job. <laughs> Even though I thought that was so ridiculous, I was like, that became my dream as like a twelve-year-old. I think I, so I had that I dream as a twelve-year-old. I, I didn't, I didn't make it, but uh, that's okay. Um, definitely a lot of late nights listening to the clock radio, getting the lead out, running the uh, yeah, exactly. taping whatever I could, could off the uh, Sunday morning flashback show, so I could, you know, where they were covering all the '60s songs from this year and 1968 and whatever, and just. Yeah, and I would write that stuff down and then take it with me to the record store and like right. look for those CDs. It's a it's a good way to self educate, and then totally. if you have a good record store, somebody would be like, "Oh no, you want this one instead." Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I mean, and then that was like high school, you know. So middle school was all the like canonical classic rock stuff that I was educating myself on, and then I think in like by the time I got to high school, I started like. I kept all that stuff as an influence and then fish started working its way into my world, like freshman year of high school alongside stuff that now feels to me like very, very well-known indie rock, you know, like, like built to spill or something like that. Cool. Uh, but those records are, you know, learning about the pixies and stuff for the first time, those records really blew my mind as well in like early high school. And that's what led me down and more to, you know, uh, slightly more indie or experimental or esoteric path, you know, it was this love of classic rock and this sort of like very reductionist viewpoint that like, Oh, no good music has been made after like 1985 or something, which is of course is totally wrong but I was a kid <laughs> and then I was like having my mind going like, Oh, whoa, if you dig a little deeper, there is all this cool contemporary music, you know? And so that, you know, kind of those things sort of bled into one another eventually. Nice. Nice. And so, uh, where, when did you get hip to the dead? Uh, right. You know, I actually came to the, well, the, I remember the first time I knowingly heard the grateful dead. I think I was a freshman, in high school i mean i'd heard touch of gray and stuff on the radio i'm sure but like the first time i i really remember it having an impact on me my mom for whatever reason who's not a big deadhead but my mom was sitting at home and she was like struck by something she was like i need to hear american beauty 
uh, need to hear that record again. And we like got in the car and drove to Barnes and Noble to buy an American Beauty CD specifically because she was like, I need to hear American Beauty. And we put it on in the car on the way home. And, you know, I heard Box of Rain for the first time and it just completely blew my mind because I was that's when I was in the like classic rock studying phase. And so I heard I heard that record and I was like, whatever the hell this is, I want this is what I want. (laughs) (laughs) I stole the CD. I stole the CD from her like two days later. Awesome. it was like divine, you know, it was like delivered to me in some way. And that was, that was early on. And that, that was like, and then, so I started getting into the dead and that's actually ultimately what led me to fish. And earlier on, I was a bigger fish fan because it just felt more contemporary and stuff like that. But sure. um, that's like, yeah, that was the first shining moment. And it was, it definitely opened up the whole universe. I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta learn about, and then I learned that there was like a whole community in there was like a whole scene and it was such a thing and i was just like so enamored with that whole world because you know when you're a kid you just want to belong to something right you know and so i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna be this like my friends are getting into punk now i'm gonna be like a hippie deadhead i'm gonna get this flannel and this uh the tie-dye corduroy pants burning socks (laughs) let's get some patches on those pants too yeah exactly Yeah. yeah so um this leads me back around to more uh, contemporary days. Your your side group, uh, Alex Bleeker and the Freaks, uh, you diverted into doing dead covers for a couple tours there. Yeah. Yeah, it was um, 2015 before, um, you know, like it, everything was super saturated with a bunch of uh, more indie leaning artists doing dead songs of which there are now numerous, but um, it was actually, you know, I was, it was right around the time the dead became what seems like the biggest band in the world again, you know, around mm-hmm. the 50th <laughs> anniversary. Um, and I was, that was like maybe the peak of my deadhead, you know, ness. and uh and i you know i'd been like totally obsessed for the previous three years i'd like you know obviously loved them in high school and then was like really really diving back in as a musician and um i was just going to all these like further shows and film friend shows and stuff like that and you know just being around new york and being in music i was i was getting friendly with um uh guys in in that scene and um Pete Shapiro, who actually threw the uh, the Chicago shows, kind of came up to me randomly at a night out and was like, why doesn't your band do some dead songs? We'll do like an indie rock guys who like the dead night at uh-huh. Brooklyn Bowl. And we were like, oh my God, can we pull it off? I don't know. And we like, just like, you know, but the band, we're all such huge deadheads that we came with like, you know, learning those songs was so hard um, for us initially because we weren't those kinds of musicians. You know, we were used to playing like four or five chord, if that, you know, really yeah. simple stuff. So we put in all this work to shedding those tunes and, and um, it was just super, super fun and wound up being a really, really successful night. Um, and so... We wound up doing that for a while, and 
Yeah, it was great. We we got to play with uh, Bill Kreutzmann <laughs> at the apex of it, nice. which was insane. I can't believe that that happened. And uh, yeah, so that that was really fun. And I still play those songs uh, today, uh, less in a touring capacity. But here in California, I've got a little uh, Grateful Dead band. We play around locally, and it's a total passion project, labor of love. And you know, we're out here in Marin County, so the spirit feels very much alive. It's easy to find somebody to go. Yeah, man, I take that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a, you know, it's like I feel like we sort of put ourselves out there once, and then we hadn't, we didn't need to like work hard to book ourselves a show after that. People just, people want it. People need it. Cool, cool. So uh, you guys, you played uh, the. Let me see if I can get this sentence out. You were in the one of the late night gigs at the in Chicago. After fairly right. well, that's the the one of the whole weekend that I thought I really got to get to this, and I just couldn't get out of the damn stadium in a way that would allow me to make it over there. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is this is my moment where I ask: Is there a tape? It's tragic. Okay, so no. there's a little bit of footage I think actually made by Rob Mitchum. Who? Okay, yeah, I know Rob. Yeah, uh, on YouTube. I think I've like, seen that. Yeah, and there was, we were told there was an audio tape, we were told there was a videotape, and both have mysteriously just vanished, or they didn't work, or were totally destroyed. So there's no surviving existing tape that I know of, which is a damn shame, because it was a crazy lineup, as you know. Yeah, and can, I, you, can you help me feed this legend? Tell me, tell me a little bit about so uh, that, who was there. Yeah. That was uh, that was really cool because that was sort of born directly out of this first night that I was talking about that that uh, Pete had sort of helped us put together. He he allowed me to curate and was like, well, just do this thing and ask like your friends who are more like who are less traditionally on the jam band side of things, um, who like the Dead to come and like you know guest and whatever. We'll do like a big night and the Freaks will be the house band. And that's what we did, but there wound up being a lot of jam band crossover too because we did it for like a Relic's 40th anniversary party. So there were also like big jammers like uh, like Eric Krasno played, and uh, I know he'd hate to be referred to as a jammer, so uh, I won't. But Joe Russo played. <laughs> um, and, uh, sorry, those guys jam. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 Joe played and a couple other people from that scene, but then there were also more people who were in kind of my scene that I brought, you know, brought to it. And it was really rad. So we were, we wanted to do the same kind of thing in Chicago and we wound up doing it at city winery through kind of like Bob Weir's official after party people. And because we were doing it through them, they were able to make us this incredible offer, which was, okay, um, anybody who plays the show, we can get tickets to uh, the dead shows, and nice. they weren't they weren't free, but they were like you know you remember how hard it was to get tickets to the show, so it was given an opportunity to go to any of the shows. So that was my ace in the hole for sort of seducing this incredible lineup, which included um, Ira Kaplan from Yellow Tango, Lee Rinaldo from Sonic Youth, Jenny Lewis played, Kyle Field, who you mentioned did the podcast played and his friend and fellow musician, uh, Lee Baggett, our friend Dave Harrington from dark side, uh, Riley Walker played. It was just like a really rad kind of stacked group of cool people. And like, you know, with people like Ira and Lee who are like legends to me and I was a huge fan. I was just able to write them emails and say, 
hey, you want to go to those dead shows in Chicago? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, well, all you got to do is play my show. <laughs> and everyone was like, cool, that sounds fun. You know? Wow. Yeah, and uh, it, the show sounds like it was it was pretty great. And, and uh, yeah, stupid. It was just impossible. To, so I went to Fairly Well, went to all three, and it was just impossible to get out of that stadium in a timely way without leaving early. And, yeah, um, we left during uh, – we missed Ripple, I think. Yeah. Uh, because we were afraid of about even getting over there in time. Right. You know, we like, so we left, uh, we left during the encore, but you know, I was there all weekend and it was a great weekend and got to see all three of the shows. So small price to pay. No, that's pretty rad. And you, yeah. were, you were, you know, right there in another pretty great show. So, well, it was actually insane. I mean, if you like, <laughs> I was, I was thinking about like what high school me would say because we you know we we were concerned about getting across town so we like uh, set up transportation before the show to get to our show because a bunch of us uh had gone to the dead show beforehand so we set up you know we left early and we set up for this big sprinter van to take us across town to get there on time and uh so it was me a bunch of members from the freaks ira kaplan lee ronaldo Kyle Field, who I was a huge fan of before we became friends, in this car, you know, all talking about the dead show that we'd just seen with Trey on guitar, you know, and I was like, man, have you told like 14 year old me that I was going to go see a dead reunion with Trey on guitar and I'd be like talking about the show with this group of people on the way to my show that I'm putting on afterwards? Like, that was like definitely one of my all time, like, am I dreaming? This is insane moments. Wow. Awesome. We're at that point in the show where I like to take just the hard turn. We've already, we've been skimming across Grateful Dead stuff along the uh-huh. way, but uh, here's where I'd like to go ahead and ask you um, about like what, what kind of Grateful Dead do you like? There's so much, such a wide spectrum of music in their catalog and over the years, when, if you go to put on a Dead show, what is it you put My on? My favorite stuff is early 70s stuff like using it's a very popular answer i mean it's just so damn good yeah. um like using sort of europe 72 as a core uh you know no no real disrespect to mickey but i really like the way the band sounds with one drummer um i really like the ba- way the band sounds before they're playing custom guitars um, <laughs> I just like, there's something about like Jerry playing like a Strat or an SG through like a really overdriven Fender that is just like sounds, that's my favorite way that Jerry sounds. That's my favorite, favorite. I really, really appreciate the band from all eras. I can get down with later stuff. I like pig pen stuff, but I think the core of it, I mean, the seventies is a decade as a whole. It's probably an extremely popular answer, but that's my favorite decade for the band. Um, uh, but that, I mean, I, I, I listen to stuff from all eras, you know, I'm, I don't discriminate. I'm not like, no, I'm not into built to last or whatever. Great song. You know, <laughs> I, right. I love that stuff too. So that's cool. That's cool. Um, yeah. So we'll probably find something good to put on out of the uh, yeah, early seventies, that tough job. <laughs> yeah i really like i like I, I was thinking you might ask me about what my favorite show was and it's a hard question to answer but i do really okay. like the uh, 
do the uh i love the um watkins Glen soundcheck show from around oh yeah that era. that's that's definitely a favorite that i come back to really often that's a that's a great pick we um yeah spoiler alert to the listeners there's an episode coming out that talks uh very near that time frame a little bit mm-hmm. earlier in 1973 so we could probably play that and then uh give everybody a little context for when that other episode comes out. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, maybe we'll get into that. that. That'd be a lot of fun. I haven't listened to that in a little bit myself. So cool. Well, Alex, um, I will, after we're done and I'll tell everybody where they can find the record and all of that, it's out now. Uh, is there any particular song you think I should try to, uh, put out for everybody on the show? On the real estate record? Yeah. What's the, what's the single like, we should go with? <laughs> well, the single that we put out in a more wide way is Paper Cup, and I, I do love that song. I think, the song. song I think the song You would be cool. I, there's like yeah. a real, uh, especially when we play it live, that, that one for some reason feels like the kind of like the 90s fish, as close as we get to 90s fish <laughs> in our band. Cool. Yeah. Well, we'll, yeah. we'll go ahead and play that for everybody. And if you don't mind, I'd like to... Um, I'd like to play them a uh, one a, a freak song. I'd like to I'll see if I can find any of your uh, dead cover material. Maybe NYC Taper has something, but uh, NYC Taper has a show has a really good show up actually from I think it was like December thirtieth, two thousand fifteen. Cool. I'll dig it up. Yeah, and, uh, and then but I'd really like to everybody to hear how far away, uh, or rather, something from how far away. The uh, the opening track is. I'm gonna gush. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop here before I gush over, or maybe uh, or maybe uh, all my songs, which I think is uh, just a charming little tune and uh, not very long. But everybody little, should know uh, this stuff. Tidbit for the heads on all my songs: the um, person singing backup vocals on that is Kevin Morby. Oh wow! Cool. There you go. Yeah, he's got a great voice, and that yeah, that track is like it kills me. A great lyric on that one. So we'll, thanks. We'll to play that thanks for a lot. Um, yeah, man, this has been a lot of fun. I um, it's a pleasure to uh, virtually meet you and uh, talk to you a little bit about the band and the Grateful Dead, and uh, I hope we can do it again sometime. Yeah, man, stay safe out there. Thanks for having me on the show. I really you appreciate do, it. You do the same. All right. All right, so Alex is our kind of people, clearly. Let's play a cut for you from the new real estate album, The Main Thing. The song is called You.
That is really groovy. I love this group. I hope you enjoyed that. I cannot wait until they can get back on the road and I can see them live. You can grab that album wherever you buy music, including from their website, realestatetheband.com. Now, as promised, I've got some Alex Bleeker and the Freaks material. First up is a charming song from his album, How Far Away. It's called All My Songs. It's beautiful. You can find this album on vinyl and CD at woodsis.com. It's also on the streaming sites, the digital places. I have this LP. I highly recommend it. I will put a link in the blog for you, but again, that's woodsist.com. The album is How Far Away, and this first song is called All My Songs. After that, we're going to roll straight into some live Alex Bleeker and the Freaks from December 30th, 2015 at Rough Trade in Brooklyn, New York. This was taped by Jonas Blank and is available for download straight from NYC Taper at nyctaper.com. It's a great recording of a great show. I hope you'll dig it. Here we go. Thank you. 
time for just one more. Thank you guys for... All right. Those guys know what it's all about, huh? As I said, you can find that whole show at nyctaper.com. Search function is solid over there. Or you can go to my blog at brokedownpodcast.blogspot.com and you will find a link directly to the show. In addition to what you heard, there's a China Rider, another one, a little bit of Dark Star, some Eyes, and a whole bunch more. But now, let's play some good old Grateful Dead. You heard us talk about it, so now I'm going to play you this Matrix recording from the soundcheck for Watkins Glen. This is 72773, an unscheduled performance that was, as I said, the soundcheck for that massive Watkins Glen show which featured the band and the Allman Brothers band. At the time, this show was so big it won a place in the Guinness Book of World Records for the largest pop festival audience. They had an estimated 600,000 people in attendance. It's crazy. So, as I said, the soundcheck wasn't announced, but the audience was there. The Almonds and the band both came out and played a set each, so eventually Grateful Dead ambled out and played two. The second set, they played a half-step into me and my uncle, and then, from a cold stop, they started jamming. And this is the stuff. You'll hear segments that sound like songs and jams from the past and the future. Just let it unfold. Don't be put off when the audio quality shifts for a bit. There's only about 30 seconds. It gets weird. Uh, it's worth the ride, because we're going to take that whole thing straight on through into a lovely wharf rat. Then after that, we'll say goodbye for now. Our next episode will be in two weeks as usual. Until then, be well.
Good Lord 
Girl. 